The only thing that's probably worse than having poop in your clean water supply is having poop in where you live. Like, just coming back up at you. Welcome back to Privy. Privy is a podcast about bathrooms, recorded from my home bathroom. I'm your host, Hunter Hoover, and I love bathrooms. Um, good morning. Uh, this this is, I think, one of my first ever morning records. Uh, I've got my, I don't have my polar seltzer. It's too early for a polar seltzer, but I do have Kirkland Signature Coffee Ground Coffee Brewed at Home, uh, which is honestly better than any coffee. And it is already beginning to work the Taco Bell disaster through the system this morning. Wanted to share something that I'm I'm seeing as both things popping up on the internet, uh, but also like hands-on, I'm seeing them in the wild, which is fun, is there doesn't seem to be a shortage of of premium porta potties. And what I mean by premium porta potties is these are these are like portable toilets, but they are elevated to an extent that is like they're not really a porta potty anymore. They almost seem like a home toilet that has been placed where you would expect a porta potty. It's kind of cool. But yeah, uh, on a on a recent road trip, again we went to Montana. I saw no less than 3 different brands of these of these porta potties and um I have reached out to a couple of different uh luxury, I think is the the term, luxury porta porta potty brands to see if they would be interested in coming on and sharing their their backstory, I uh, have not had any takers yet. So, um, if you're if you're one of these luxury porta potty companies and and you're interested, um, we love talking about bathrooms here on Privy. I also got to use one for the first time, and and they kind of remind me of like a camper bathroom. Like if you've ever been camping in a in a camper, uh, it reminds me of that but just kind of a little more decorated and the amenities are a little nicer. It it was actually really cool. None of the ones that I saw on our trip were the brand that I was aware of before we went to Montana. Uh, and what one of the one of my favorite parts of this luxury bathroom, at least the one I use. I don't think they're all this way. Um but the one I used was a standing structure they had installed it as a replacement for the gas station bathrooms, which were out of order. And, the, you know, they're luxury little porta-potties, and they looked pretty nice. And you come out of this luxury porta-potty, and there's just the brown, like, like accordion tube snake of crap that's running out of the back of it. And so you, you had this like moderately posh porta potty with just the like most visceral, disgusting image of like that, like looked like it went to the RV, like crapper dump. Um, so good. Uh, I also want, I haven't, you know, those who listen to the show, we're, we're in rant section here. We'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to the stuff. We got some stuff this week, but I, People who listen to the show, I, I, they know that I, I'm a fan of Pokemon. And Pokemon put out uh, a few weeks ago now at the point of this record, but it was it was fresh on my fingertips at at the point of writing the episode, uh, Pokemon Sleep. And the app's interesting. Uh, I don't know if it helps me sleep. It mostly just reminds me that I'm incredibly bad at getting enough sleep. Um, 
But yeah, it is what it is. But we this week on Privy, I want I also want to acknowledge um that we have once again broken our release an episode on the fives format. Normally, we release an episode on the fifth, fifteenth, and twenty fifth of every month. Um, and the month of August, twenty twenty three of our Lord, we've broken that. We broke it uh, last episode. We released on the first to give y'all enough time for voting for the America's Best Restroom twenty twenty three. Hopefully, you have voted at the point of this episode's release. You will have three days left to vote. Um, and then if Sintus does it anyway, like they did it last year, they will shut down voting and then wait like three months before they actually tell us who won. I could not tell you why it takes them three months to calculate online votes, but here we are. But we're, we're breaking our on the fives release schedule again this week because today, the day of this episode's released, August 8th commemorates a a big moment in bathroom history and and dare i say a moment that has never occurred since hopefully hasn't and i don't believe has occurred prior to uh, it stands out in american and bathroom history but but before we get to that i want i want to lay some groundwork because i i feel that it is my duty to provide you a bathroom history lesson and so we need to do a little bathroom history lesson this week to commemorate this event. This week on Privy, we're going to talk about another city in America to, in a roundabout way of discussing an anniversary of today. In 2010, I took a school trip for Business Professionals of America to Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, Chicago, uh, shout out to Sims high school. Uh, if you, if you know where Sims high school is, you are probably one of a couple thousand people in the last hundred years. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just a tiny little school in a tiny little town of Sims, Montana. Um, but Miss Roar, our, our computer and business professionals, uh, I guess, coach, uh, she, she had a good program and she ran, she ran it well. And um, she took a bunch of us to state that year. And so, so in, in 2010 or 2011, I can't remember, a, a handful of kids from my school and I ventured to Chicago. Uh, you got these kind of small town hillbillies moving into Chicago, Illinois for the weekend uh, for this business professionals competition. And today we're going to look briefly at the history of Chicago and the sanitation of this city. The first white people before before the the pale face pasty white montanans arrived in 2011 um the first white people arrived in the chicago area and settled uh in 1780 the the white people who arrived were were of santo domingo and the the word chicago is a miami indian word for the wild leeks they're like onions if you know Farfetch'd from Pokemon, he carries a leak. Uh, 
but that grew along the Chicago River. Now, between 1800 and 1830, Native Americans in the area resisted the settlements through attempts at peace, and, and when these proved unproductive, they ended with the Black Hawk War in 1832. It's not great. Essentially, we liked the area's benefits, the waterways, the very good leaks, um, the opportunity for grain and other technologies. So the European settlers kicked the Native Americans out of the area. Bad look. Um, not good. And I think if you explore a lot of American history, you're going to find that. Um, it is what it is. Here we are. Uh, but Chicago was incorporated as a town in 1833. Man, they wasted no time. Like 1832, and then 1833. Let's set this thing up. And within 20 years, the population boomed to over 40,000, many of whom were immigrants. And when you have a big population boom, anytime you have a, a large group of people that are gathered, there's going to be an added level of stank. Uh, last night, I took our, our youth to um, Bullwinkle's. It's kind of a local family fun center. And uh, there was there's just some people that, especially when you're inside, we were in the laser tag, and I got placed on a team of, of random teens against my group because they're like, oh, we need someone to... And the teens just kind of stand there and like brr, geek out. They like short circuit as the social pressures of the world weigh on them. But uh, so I was on their team and... You know, when you're just enclosed in laser tag, there's just a weird funk in the air. It was so hot and stinky. And and I'm going to be honest, I'm contributing to the stank. Like I like like you got to own your stank, but it 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 doesn't smell good. But anytime you get a group of people together, there's going to be some funk. There's going to be some funk in the air and not the like like good funk, like dropping the beat funk. We're talking about the the strange little armpit Welch that comes out. And the same was true for Chicago in the mid-1800s. And so to help with the stench and overall like just widespread of disease, they introduced bathhouses. And boy, did Chicago have some bathhouses. One ad, which was placed in the Chicago Tribune in 1849, read, and this is now Quote, Johnson's Bathing and Shaving Saloon. The subscriber takes pleasure in informing his old customers that the public generally that he has removed his established opposite his old stand on Clark Street between Lake and Randolph, where he has fitted up in a superior manner for all reception for who may favor him with a call. While in anticipation of the cholera making its appearance in Chicago this spring and summer, it is well known to all that bathing is considered a great preventative of this dreadful disease. Therefore, I repeat that one preventative is better than a hundred cures. Friday evening of every week from 9 o'clock to 11 will be set apart for the express accommodation of ladies, at which time the public shop will be closed. Bathing, shaving, haircutting, and shampooing, all done at the, at the shortest notice. Single tickets 30 cents, four tickets for a dollar. The subscriber returns his general thanks to the public for their liberal patronage and hopes it will not be con Con it it will not be condemned. Uh, w. M. Johnson. So, Mister Mister W. Johnson 
um, Big WJ, he he put out this ad, and this is one of many uh, like ads, uh, probably not just in Chicago. This was probably typical, but he, like the cholera situation was so bad in Chicago and other places that the dude just puts in his newspaper ad, hey, do you want to not die from cholera? Well, then come take a very good bath at my bathhouse. Uh, he also notes that the time of 9 to 11 p.m. are for women and, you know, on, on Friday. So like once a week. And I'm sitting here going, you know, why did you, why are you making, why are you having the ladies go out at 9 to 11? Like, that doesn't seem like the safest time of night. And so like if you're trying to oh, provide a safe space where it's private for women, it seems like a bad move to set the hours of that at 9 to 11 at night. W.M. Johnson, figure it, figure it straight out. But people at the time, as you can tell, they did not have bathing facilities in their homes, so they went out to take a bath. The, the disease, as noted, there were six cholera outbreaks in six years in a row. Between 1848 and 1854, every single year had an extensive cholera outbreak. Mr. Johnson's uh, article was listed in the paper right smack dab in, at the beginning of these in 1849. The city of Chicago had a drainage problem. The streets had trouble. And as the city grew, we had a problem. As is noted, Chicago has a relationship with water supplies around it. Well, water makes things swampy. And much like Shrek's butt crack and his home, Chicago was too swampy for all those people, and they either need to get people out of the swamp, or they need to make the swamp less swampy. A public works project began in the 1850s, which looked to raise Chicago. Now, you might hear that sentiment, raise Chicago, and you're like, oh, we're going to like bring up the city and like teach people how to be clean. N no, no, no. I, I would ask you, have you ever changed a tire? Because one key aspect is jacking the vehicle up to get up underneath there. Um, yeah, you got to you got to jack that noise right up and. And that's what they did to the central part of Chicago. They literally, they literally jacked up the city. Not like, oh, they screwed it up. They raised it using lifts. They literally raised Chicago out of the muck. The booming population led to a water problem. Not everyone can just go down to the local water supply at this point and get clean water. And when you add bathhouses and the need for people to get clean, you got to have a place to put the very rank stank water that comes off of people's bodies and nethers. So what are we to do? A man named Ellis Chessborough rose to the task. Get it, Rose, because they raised Chicago. Um, Ellis Chessborough was responsible for the idea of raising Chicago. And he also came up with the use of water cribs offshore in Lake Michigan for the intake and treatment of water for the city of Chicago. 
The first of these offshore water cribs, the Two Mile Crib, effectively interacted with the Chicago Water Tower, we're going to get to that in a moment, to provide water to the city. These were connected to the city via pump and a two-mile-long pipe, thus the name of the, the water crib, which ran from the crib in the middle of Lake Michigan underneath the lake to the pump station in the middle of the city of Chicago. This pump station, this two-mile crib, uh, the pump station, not, not I, I misspoke, the, the two-mile crib was later demolished. And in Chicago's history, they have had nine of these water cribs off-site in Lake Michigan, um, six of which are still standing, and only two of which are, in, are still in use. They still use these. They're like little mini water treatment things that intake and pump to the city. In 1869, the Chicago Water Tower was completed with a clever system of intake and, sh and, sh and storage. What's interesting about this water tower is it looks nothing like a water tower. It looks almost like a church. It's got kind of like a steeple-looking thing, but, but inside it is a 138-foot-tall standpipe for water storage. This could regulate output to different needs within the city. It intook from those water cribs in Lake Michigan. It was coal-fired and steam-driven, drew water, and provided 15 million gallons per day to the city's water mains. Now, they also note that this water tower would be a, a key structure when they were building it. They noted that it would be a key structure in the case of a fire in the city of Chicago to provide firefighting aid. Well, in 1871, one-third of Chicago burnt to the ground, leaving over 100,000 people without homes. To, to this day, the source of the fire is unknown. And so you would think, wow, a third of Chicago. It's a good thing they had that water tower pump. Otherwise, it could have been worse. Well, the water tower pump provided no support to the, the firefighting effort because the top of the pump caught fire and the pump quit working. <laughs> like, it's not funny. It's just ironic. You know, it almost seems, it's kind of like one of those, nowadays, every, every like other day, somebody posts on the internet, oh, look, the Simpsons predicted the future. And no, you just, your brain just makes connect. But it, it's almost as if they're building this water tower. They're like, man, this thing's gonna this thing's gonna be awesome if we ever have a giant fire that consumes one third of our city. Good thing we're building it, and then they have that, but it is catch for fire and it doesn't help. The miraculous part of this water pump, almost as if someone out there knew that Chicago needed the water pump after the fire, they were gonna need it. The tower did not burn, and now this might also stand as a as a measure of frustration. It's like really. Like, you couldn't help with this fire, but you also couldn't be destroyed by it. But the water tower did not burn. The water pump did not burn down. It caught fire, did not burn down. In response to a third of the city being burned, the city then needed to be rebuilt. Large-name businesses jumped at the opportunity, and this remodel produced 
the world's first skyscraper, a 10-story home insurance building. Somewhat ironic. Too soon. The remodel also saw the call for more public bathhouses, 21 of which were built for poor and immigrant communities between 1894 and, 18, and 1918. The first of these, the Harrington Bathhouse, named after the assassinated mayor of Chicago, okay, opened in 1894. It cost $21,000 to build. These bathhouses were typically reserved for the poor and immigrant populations. They were small, they were modest, they contained between 20 and 40 showers. And if you look at the numbers of Chicago dwellers, 20 to 40 showers per bathhouse, even if you had a couple hundred of these, is not enough for everyone to bathe. They were unisex, and only two days of the week were shut down for the exclusive use of women and children. You were allowed 20 minutes for a shower. But an attendant would often only let you shower for seven to eight minutes. They, the attendant, also controlled the temperature, which was often left as cold. And, and these, these public bathhouses, they served less as a means to get clean and in time more as a means to cool off. In their peak use in 1910, it was estimated that a total of 1,070,000 showers were taken across the 15 bathhouses of Chicago. That's a lot in a year. This began to see the decline with the opening of public pools, beach access, lake beach access on Lake Michigan, and civil reform calling for indoor plumbing. Baths began to be installed in homes, and as a result, people do not need to go to the bath, or at least people who can afford a bath in their home. The bathhouses led to widespread racism and prejudice, not just in Chicago, um, with people of color and, and, and immigrant populations receiving less time in the shower, colder showers, and fewer days of the week for them to access clean bathing water. It's bad. And, like, I'm not saying that a shower is a basic human right. I think being clean is, access to being clean is a basic human right. But yeah, this system sucks. Uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be pissed if I was taking a shower and somebody like cut me to cold water just because I didn't have the right color of skin. I'd be pissed. Um, but these bathhouses began to close in the 50s and 60s. And by 1970, only one remained in Skid Row of Chicago. This was closed in 1979. Good riddance. Another, again, pretty important part of the rebuild was the implementation of a city sewer system. In fact, the Chicago sewer system is credited as being the first large-scale sewer system in America. Chicago, hats off to you. You gave us the first sewer system. The Chicago sewer system, often called the Chessboro sewers, again, because we're going to be hearing again from our, our engineer friend, Ellis Chessboro, oversaw the building of much of the Chicago remodel and renovation. Chessboro was a civil engineer who only attended school through age nine. And because of the economy and his need to work, 
went to work with his dad, changing jobs, left school to be a city surveyor for the city of Baltimore and later the city of Pennsylvania. He took on farming in the 1840s when work as an engineer slowed. And when he returned, he was named the first city engineer for Boston. It's impressive. Only, only formally educated through age nine and the school of hard knocks and life experience taught him the rest. His plan for Chicago was as follows. Build the sewer at ground level and then raise everything else up above the sewers and cover it from there. These sewers were the first to feature manhole covers, likely uh, to allow access to servicing certain sections of the sewer line. The waste still emptied out into Lake Michigan, which is why they had to build the crib two miles offshore away from the Dookie water. Because if they learned anything from cholera, they're, they're starting to learn. You cannot drink the turd water. You cannot do it. It is bad for you. It is, you will get sick. Bad news bears, don't drink poopy water. Eventually, the poopy water reached the crib. You don't want that. In my experience of having children, you do not want poop of any type in the crib. If the poop is loose in the crib, you've done something terribly wrong or something has gone terribly awry. So too was the poop in the crib in Chicago. And so, Chessboro went for challenge number three. He... He, he had raised it as much as 10 feet. He built a pipe two miles into the water in Lake Michigan. And now he was going to move the Chicago River. Or at least make it flow backwards, away from Lake Michigan. In the 1860s, about 10 years prior to the fire, Chessboro decided to dig a canal to redirect the flow of the Chicago River away from Lake Michigan and thus carrying the very foul stank water away from their drinking supply. The Illinois and Michigan Canal was dug and completed by the mid-1880s and served to direct the sewage away from Lake Michigan, to which directed poopy water to the Des Plaines River and eventually down to the old Mississippi, which would then arrive in the Gulf of Mexico. Hopefully it has become, become so diluted by that point that the, the smell and visible turds are less there. Uh, shout out to the River Thames uh, around the same time in history, just going through the most foul stink they've ever seen. Go check out our, our great stink episode. Um, and what's interesting is this actually worked. He, he was able to change the direction in the flow of this river until a big storm in 1885 in which high rainfall washed the poopy water back up the canal into the city. Bad news. The only thing that's probably worse than having poop in your clean water supply is having poop in where you live, like just coming back up at you. Um, bad news. Worried for a similar storm, it was decided to dig another canal, a bigger canal. You gotta, gotta make it bigger. That To reroute the poop away, this time for good. We gotta get the turds out of here for good. Remove them. The engineer who saw this through was not Ellis Chesborough. Because Chesborough passed before the canal was completed. His plan put it into motion. But Esham Randolph 
is the is the engineer who completed this. The Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, the MWRD, the M word, <laughs> sought to do this endeavor to keep the city of Chicago safe and clean and preserve Lake Michigan. The building of this canal was the greatest earth-moving endeavor undertaken in the North American continent up to this point. They literally had to move the earth in order to redirect this for good. The engineers and methods used here at the, at the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago were later used in, to help create the Panama Canal. In the hundred years since its construction, the legitimacy of the canals has undergone international and intense scrutiny and litigation with Canada, sanitary scrutiny with Chicago and other Illinois cities, and navigational scrutiny with local and federal governments. But at the end of the day, Chesborough did it. He's buried in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois. But Chicago lived on. As noted, Chicago was also home to the world's first modern skyscraper, 100 plus feet worth of floors. And while it is reported William LeBron Jenny's insurance building wasn't hooked to modern plumbing of Chicago, these buildings poised a new question, which would need to be answered elsewhere on our show, not today. How do we get the poop from the top to the bottom? But as was stated, the water redirection faced scrutiny, and this caused Chicago to focus their attention now in, in the 1900s, moving forward on waste treatment. From 1920 to 1970, many waste treatment facilities and sites were built and expanded to meet the regulation and call for the restructuring of the waste treatment of Chicago for clean water, not just for the people, but for the lakes and water supplies around them. By the 1970s, Chicago's wastewater treatment facilities were the largest in the world. Some concerns in the levels of Lake Michigan as a result of the diversions persist. The lake's going down because we keep redirecting water from the lake to get rid of the poop. The problem is, is like we need water in the lake, not just because the lake needs water because there's like animals and stuff there. But also, like, if that is our clean water drinking supply and we're actively cutting it off, we need to do something different. Further development of canals was kiboshed, put to the end in the 1980s, when drought brought lake levels to record lows. The second thing we must remember is some sewage still gets out. To address this, the, the Tunnel and Reservoir Plan, or TARP, called for over 10 miles of tunnels to be used to capture this nasty overflow, which was built and implemented by, the 19, by 1985. This addressed the pollution concern, but what about flooding? Well, to answer this, TARP called for another 21 miles of tunnels for if the thing floods. Like, if, if it floods, we got to have a place for it to flood, too. Three large reservoirs were also built. They are still working 
on the TARP plan. They are in phase two, and the first portion of that was completed in 2017. Now they look to the McCook Reservoir Stage 2, which will expand the reservoir to store an extra 3 million gallons for a total of 6.5 million gallons of what could very possibly be human turd. This is good, because the current 3.5 million gallon reservoir fills almost completely in the rainy season. There's a video of it online. I will try to post it in the ding-dong doodly-dopper below. Um... But it's wild how quickly this large, large pit fills with water. The M-word still oversees this. And it is estimated they serve about 12.72 million people per day. They own and oversee 560 miles of intercepting sewers, some of which are still the sewers built underneath the city of Chicago, when Ellis Chesborough raised it about 10 feet a hundred and so years ago. How can Chicago be a burgeoning city of growth, have clean water, and exist in harmony with Lake Michigan and its other waterways? Remember, the reason the people wanted to settle Chicago in the first place and have these waterways both as its source of clean water in its past and the place where the waste is going to be dumped. Well, it is a problem that is, that is ongoing, and, and the, the waste management and, and TARP and M-Word of Chicago are working actively in the legacy of Ellis Chesbro and others to continue to provide safe infrastructure and water to the people of Chicago. In 2004, there was another sewer tragedy that occurred in Chicago. In fact, this episode is releasing on the, the anniversary of this horrifying event. So with all our knowledge of the struggles in the history of the city of Chicago and their sewers and their water treatment and, and all that the city has gone through in about 100 to 200 years of, of struggle for clean water. We must discuss. In Chicago, you can take an architectural boat cruise along the Chicago River. On one of these tours, you can see and enjoy the architecture of more than 40 buildings and trace the architectural history of Chicago as you tour the city via boat. It's a cool thing. Uh, I will admit, when I was in Chicago in 2010, which was after this event, and I regret to say I did not go find these things out then, um, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't the bathroom person I am now. And you know, that's something we can all say. None of us are the bathroom people we are today. We, we're never going to, I don't know, that, there was something there and I lost it. But you can take these boat tours of Chicago to learn about the architecture. And one day, when a tour boat passed under the Kenzie Street Bridge, they got a hopefully once-in-a-lifetime experience that was totally unique to any other architectural tour. Because as their boat passed under, 
under the Kinsey Street Bridge, the Dave Matthews Band tour bus was passing over the bridge. I should note, this Kinsey Street Bridge is an open grate construction so as to allow rainfall and other fresh water, possibly, to pass through. But the trouble with this is, as their boat passed under, the Dave Matthews Band tour bus dumped 800 pounds of raw human waste into the Chicago River. The Dave Matthews Band dumped 800 pounds of raw human waste into the Chicago River, no wait, onto the architecture tour boat below. The boat, Chicago's Little Lady, got quite a show that day. Absolutely heinous. Could you imagine? You're just enjoying yourself, and you're going, oh man, look at the buildings. Oh, oh, this is the historical site. You can see the water tower in the distance that has provided clean water to the city of Chicago. It doesn't, they don't use it anymore, I don't think. But like, it's a beacon of clean water. And right as you, you know, it just gets flush out. 120 people got the special treatment. And at first, the driver and the band denied having done so. But security cameras, we live in an age of those, gentlemen, um, proved them wrong. (laughs) The band paid a fine of over $200,000 now, had to do, uh, the driver had to do one and a half years of community service. And since, the band has also donated $50,000 to Chicago Park District. And to date, they have donated over $100,000 to the city of Chicago to better the city. However, 11 years after the event in 2004, the city posted a sign on the Kinsey Street Bridge asking people to remember the incident, never forget, always remember. It reads, In August 2004, at this very location, a Dave Matthews Band tour bus dumped 800 pounds of poo on some people. Hashtag never forget. Hashtag always remember. And this week on Privy, we do always remember. In 1996, the Dave Matthews Band released Crash Into Me, and in 2004, their crap crashed into a bunch of people. In 1998, the Dave Matthews Band released Crush, And they crushed the serene hopes of a nice architectural boat tour of 120 people on August 8th, 2004. In 1998, the Dave Matthews brand released Don't Drink the Water. And in 2004, they contributed to Chicago not being able to. Ellis Chesborough would have been pissed at Dave Matthews. Never forget. Always remember. This brings us to the end of another episode of Privy. I want to share something that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, at the close of this episode, we have a we have a website. Uh, it is privy-cast.com. Uh, go check it out. You can listen to all the episodes there. See more about what we're doing. Uh, we got links to. Uh, the Wounded Warriors Project, reminding you to keep pooping in the free world, but the free world was not always free. 
Uh, and you can leave a rating or review. And when you do, we will donate some money to the Wounded Warriors Project. But go check out the site. Uh, feel free to email us, privycast at gmail.com, with thoughts, suggestions, concerns, stories, feedback. If you want to come on the show, reach out to us. We're on social media, at privycast, wherever you have that social media. Um, we would like to thank Poddington Bear and Kevin McLeod for the use of music this week. Thanks, Kevin and Poddington. We would like to not thank the Dave Matthews Band for the heinous thing they did 19 years ago. This has been another episode of Privy. Thanks so much for joining us. Wash your butthole, own your stank, keep pooping in the free world, and now, as always, don't forget to flush. <laughs>